Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHer Con is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics, all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. You might have some sort of prepayment penalty. So make sure you're keeping that in mind as well when you are setting this letter disposition requesting what that prepayment penalty is going to be or if you already know what it is and then subtracting that amount from whatever your projected sales proceeds are going to be. Real quick, before the episode, I want to give you a gift of 25% off and that gift actually is from TransUnion Smart Move. Go to tenantscreening.com, create a free account, enter the code FAIRLESS at checkout for 25% off your next screening because as landlords, we tend to be most concerned with getting paid on time. You might also know that hundreds of thousands of landlords have to deal with the headaches of evicting tenants each year. Evicting a tenant can be painful, costing as much as $10,000 in court costs and legal fees, and take as long as four weeks to complete. What if there's a trusted way to help prevent the headaches of dealing with evicting a tenant? Make the smart move right from the start. Smart Move's online tenant screening solution can help you quickly understand if you're getting a reliable tenant, which will help you avoid potential problems such as non-payment and evictions. For a limited time, listeners of this podcast are invited to try Smart Move tenant screening for 25% off. Here's how Smart Move can help you find your next great tenant. Make a more informed decision with Smart Move's proprietary credit score built specifically for tenant screening, which predicts evictions 15% better than a typical credit score. Reduce non-payment risk with Smart Move's Income Insights Report, which enables you to analyze the applicant's income within minutes and determine if additional income verification is needed. Get critical information quickly with a full credit report, criminal background, and eviction history report. With over 5 million screenings completed, SmartMove can help you make a better leasing decision for your rental property. If you own a rental property, SmartMove can help you identify the right renter from the start so you can avoid the problems of non-payment or evictions. Don't put yourself at risk. Go to TenantScreening.com, create a free account, enter the code FAIRLESS at checkout for 25% off your next screening. With TransUnion SmartMove, you'll get great reports, great convenience, great tenants. There needed to be a resource on apartment syndication that not only talked about each aspect of the syndication process, but how to actually do each of the things and go into it in detail. And we thought, hey, why not make it free too? That's why we launched Syndication School and Theo Hicks will go through a particular aspect of apartment syndication on today's episode and get into the details of how to do that particular thing. Enjoy this episode, and for more on apartment syndication and how to do things, go to apartmentsyndication.com, or to learn more about the Apartment Syndication School, 
go to syndicationschool.com so you can listen to all the previous episodes. Hi, best of your listeners. Welcome to another episode of the Syndication School series, a free resource focused on the how-tos of apartment syndication. As always, I'm your host, Theo Hicks. Each week, we air two podcast and video episodes that are usually a part of a larger podcast video series that focus on a specific aspect of the apartment syndication investment strategy. And for the majority of these series, we offer a document, PowerPoint template, Excel template, some sort of resource for you to download for free. All of these free resources, as well as past Syndication School series, can be found at syndicationschool.com. This episode is a continuation of a two-part series entitled How to Sell Your Apartment Syndication Deal. If you haven't done so already, I recommend listening to part one, where we discussed the thought process for determining when it is actually time to sell and some of the factors, some of the variables you should consider when determining if it's time to sell your deal early or even at the end of your business plan. In this episode, we're going to talk about what to actually do once you've made that decision to sell your apartment community. We're going to go over the eight-step process for how to do that. So let's jump right in. As a refresher, one of the duties that the asset manager, so you or your partner, should be doing is analyzing the market on a frequent basis. And the purpose of doing that is to determine the current as-is-a-value of your property so that you can do some return calculations to determine if it makes sense to sell your property early, as well as taking into account the six variables we discussed in yesterday's episode. Even if your plan is to sell at the end of five years, seven years, 10 years, whatever your projected sales date was when you initially underwrote the deal, that doesn't mean you should wait to do an analysis until that time. You should be doing it a few times a year to determine if you can achieve a higher return to your investors by selling early. Again, I went into extreme detail on that in yesterday's episode in part one of this series. So if you want to learn more about that and the factors that go into determining whether it's time to sell, definitely check out that episode. The rest of the episode, we're going to assume that you've already made a decision to sell and these are the things that you need to do in order to successfully execute that sale. So number one is to be mindful of the sale. So once you've made that decision to sell, then there's a few things that you're going to want to do in order to maximize your chances of selling the property and maximize that sales price. Keeping in mind that the value of the property and therefore the sales price that you're likely going to get is dependent on the market cap rate, which is effectively outside of your control, right? You can decide at what cap rate you want to sell at based off of a time and point you decide to sell. I guess that's in your control, but if I wanted to sell right now, there's really not much I could do to change the cap rate. So The other end of that calculation is the net operating income, and that is something that you do have control over. So in order to maximize the value of your property, you want to maximize the net operating income, which means you want to maximize the income and minimize the expenses. So once you've made that decision to sell, one thing you should do is not start certain projects if the payback period extends past the sales date. So for example... If you plan on selling your property in three months, then it doesn't make sense to spend $5,000 to renovate a unit 
if you're only going to get a $100 per month rental premium because you're investing $5,000 and you're really only getting back $300. Now, of course, and I mentioned this in this episode, you're going to want to determine because it's not just the rental premium, you're also increasing the value of the property as well. So you want to take into account whatever cash flow you would get as well as whatever that equity you would receive at sale. So by increasing the NOI by $1,200 per month, what would that equate to increase in value and is that more than $5,000? For that specific example, this could be applied to really any of the amenities of the property as well, not just the interior renovations. You should also consider spending a little bit more money on marketing if your occupancy level is a little bit low. So you can offer more concessions than you usually would to increase your rental revenue. You can pursue collections a little bit harder. Those are examples of things you can do to increase your occupancy because the more paying people that are living at your property, the higher that income is going to be and hence the higher the property value is going to be. So overall, a good practice would be to take a look at your profit and loss statement and see which income and expense line items can be improved over a a few months period and have a conversation with your property management company as well because they've likely, if you hire the right company, gone through this process before and should have some best practices on what to do when you are selling the property. That's number one. Number two is going to be to send your letter of notification disposition to your lender. So once you've decided to sell, you need to let your lender know so that they can start the process of releasing the loan. And to do so, you need to send them a official notification of your disposition. So typically, you're going to do this a few months before closing date. And you likely want to work with an attorney to draft this letter and then send that to the lender. Depending on the loan program that you used, and I mentioned this in part one as well, you might have some sort of prepayment penalty. So make sure you're keeping that in mind as well when you are setting this letter of disposition, requesting what that prepayment penalty is going to be, or if you already know what it is, and then subtracting that amount from whatever your projected sales proceeds are going to be. And since this is syndication school, we give away free stuff all the time. So the document that we're going to give away for free for this series is going to be how to create a letter of disposition. So I'm not going to go over that on the episode now, but the free document will just kind of walk you through what should be included. And then there'll be a little template that you can use to create your own letter of disposition, making sure that you run it by your attorney first to make sure that all the I's are dots and T's are crossed. So that's number two. Once you sent the letter of disposition, you also want to request a broker's opinion of value. So you've done your analysis and determined what you think you can get for the property. The next step is going to be to find a, a listing broker to actually list the property for you and have them get you a value. Because it's easy for you to just write down you know, $10 million based off of your NOI and what you think the market cap rate is and that makes you feel happy to sell. But you want to get a second opinion before you go through the process of listing the property, putting in our contract, or even before that, spending money on getting an appraisal yourself, a full appraisal, which is a few thousand dollars. So find a broker that is a good fit for the type of property that you're selling. Loyalty is pretty important in this business. So you're probably just going to use the broker that represented you when you purchased the property in the first place. So that's likely the person who actually listed the deal for sale. But there might be reasons why you want to go with someone else. Again, it's really up to you, but that's just one way. Another one would be to reach out to a few of the best brokers in the market 
and let them know that you're selling the property and that you want a broker's opinion of value. So once you do that, they're gonna request information from you, probably T12, rent and roll, maybe a few other financial documents as well. And then they're gonna send you their broker's opinion of value. So the BOV is what it's called. Typically what it'll be is it'll be a high, a low, and like a medium price. So they'll say, I think that you'll be able to sell the property between this range and this range. And what I think the sales price will be is this. So obviously the range is a low and high. And then what they think it'll actually go for is that, that medium range. Once you've received a few of the broker's opinion of value, you want to ask the broker a few follow-up questions, right? You don't want to just take it for a face value. So a few things to ask them so that you're confident that they can sell your property at that price would be to ask them what valuation approach did they use? So how do they actually calculate the value? Ask them what types of buyers they typically sell to. And the characteristics would be what's the, the size of the property, the number of units, what's the price range that they look at. So kind of get an idea of the types of buyers that they have. Ask them why they feel confident that those buyers will buy this property at whatever price they stated in their broker's opinion of value. And then ask them if they sold similar assets in the past. So based off of whatever values you've received and based off of their answers to these follow-up questions, you can select a broker to list the property. Those are just a few questions to ask them. But again, the whole entire idea of the BOV and the follow-up questions are to determine, okay, what value do they think they can sell this property at? And what evidence do I have that they can actually fulfill that commitment to sell it at that price? And that's going to be based off of how they determine the value, what type of buyers they work with. Do those buyers buy this type of property usually? Are they confident that based off of the buyers that they have, they can sell it to them? And then have they actually sold properties of this size and quality before in the past? Step four is to start a bidding war. (laughs) So over the next six weeks or so, your broker, once you've selected the broker, they should be working on creating the offering memorandum and then marketing the apartment to the public to whip up a lot of interest. The interested parties will visit the property and essentially follow the exact same approach you followed when you initially purchased the property. So they'll talk to the property management company, they'll tour units, they'll inspect the exteriors and interiors, they'll analyze rental comps, they'll run the numbers, underwrite the deal, and then submit an offer to you. The goal is for your broker to create a bidding war because that will push the price higher and higher. So you're going to want to make sure that they're implementing the best practices that are attracting and generating as much interest as possible and getting you as many offers as possible. And typically they'll have some sort of a timeline. So offers are due by this day. You know, Hey, here's an open house that we're doing. Continuously send updated financials that are ideally better than the ones that were received before and, and things like that. Again, all the things that you saw when you were looking at deals and are continuing to look at deals when you're reading through offer memorandums. What things attracting you to deals and making sure that your deal is if your broker is, are, is doing those things when marketing this deal to the public so that's step four number five is to screen out any newbies with a best and final call so once you've stopped accepting offers you'll review all of these submissions and then you will want to set up some sort of best and final round so you might go back to people and say hey submit your best and final offer And then based off of that, you'll take a few of those and actually have a conversation with them. If you're stuck between three different offers, well, you call them up on the phone and have a more personal conversation with that buyer to get a better understanding of their capabilities of taking down the asset. We discussed when you were preparing for the best and final sellers call, the types of things 
you should be prepared to answer. So we want to make sure you go back and listen to that episode because you're going to ask those exact same questions to your buyers to determine essentially, do they have the capability of actually closing on this deal? All right, because at the end of the day, the purchase price obviously is important, but if you have a newbie who has the best offer, but they don't end up closing on the deal, that's time and money wasted on your end. The things you don't want to know is what is their track record? What are their funding capabilities? So how are they going to fund the equity? How are they going to fund the debt? And then what's their proposed business plan? What are they going to do with the property once they actually take it over? All that is used to gauge their ability to actually close on the deal, right? If they have no idea what their business plan is going to be, they're probably not going to close on the deal. They have no idea where their money's going to come from. They're probably not going to close on the deal. If they've never done a deal before, they're probably also not going to close on the deal. So ideally you sell to someone who has a large track record, has their equity and debt not necessarily lined up, but they know where it's coming from and they actually have a sound business plan for once they take over the property. Because again, you don't want to have someone backing out after you've put the deal under contract because they can't fund the deal, they didn't know how to underwrite it, things like that. So after you've done the best and final seller's call and you've selected who you want to go under contract with, then you're going to negotiate a purchase and sales agreement, which is the PSA. And again, you've gone through this entire process before. See, it's literally the exact same thing, but from the other end. So all the things that you needed to do to show the seller that you could close on the deal, you're going to want someone to do that to you. The whole entire process that you went through when you're buying the deal Well, as a seller, that's the process your buyer is going to be going through as well. So for the PSA, make sure you have your experienced attorney draft the PSA. Don't let the buyer draft the PSA because you want to start the negotiations on terms that are closest to where you need them to be and not the other way around. Obviously, you're going to want to use their LOI for certain terms like due diligence period, inspection period, things that they requested, the purchase price. And then you can change any of those things that you want and then send that PSA to them for them or their attorney or their broker to review. And most likely there's going to be some back and forth negotiation, right? You want to do just be 30 days. They want it to be 45 days. They want these certain documents requested by a certain date, but you want to provide them at this date, things like that. There's going to be some back and forth negotiation, but the main terms are going to be set by the LOI. So you're not going to be able to change the sales price or the down payment equity, things like that. It's going to be these these smaller terms that you're going to be negotiating. And then hopefully at the end of the day, they sign it, you sign it. And this could take a week, sometimes shorter, sometimes longer. And then eventually they sign it and you've got a fully executed purchase sales agreement, which takes us into step seven, which is for you to fulfill your obligations during the due diligence period. So during the negotiation process, once you came to the conclusion on what the due diligence timeline is going to be. So once that contract is signed, that timeline essentially starts. So they have a certain number of days to do due diligence. They have a certain number of days to close. They have a certain number of days to submit the earnest deposit. All those terms will be outlined in the PSA. And so whatever they agree to in the PSA, they are going to be doing. But then also whatever you agree to, you need to be doing as well. So... Maybe the terms are that they can come to the property within 24 hours notice. They can look at your bank statements, financials, your leases, your marketing materials, any document that they requested during the PSA, 
you need to provide to them in the timeline that was set in the PSA. Best case scenario for you as the seller, nothing comes up during the due diligence period and you sell the property at the price and terms defined in the PSA. However, just like when you were buying a property originally, you know things come up and if something does come up, there may be additional negotiations back and forth with the seller on the terms, the purchase price, or both. And again, making sure that they are adhering to the schedule and you're adhering to the schedule. So if they still have time to do due diligence, then you have to give them time to do their due diligence. But if that period expires and they aren't allowed to do due diligence anymore, they're not allowed to use that contingency to back out of the deal, well, that's set in stone on their end as well. So once that due diligence process is completed, all the contingencies have been signed off on, then the buyer will be in the process of working with their lender and the title company to finalize things in preparation for the closing. And then step eight is to actually close on the deal. So you know how it works from the buyer's perspective. We talked about this before. And you've already gone through this process if you're at this point in the business plan because you bought the property yourself. But for you, a few days prior to the official closing date, you're going to sign all of the documents. And then on the day of closing, you will be wired all of the sales proceeds. Once you receive those sales proceeds, you will distribute those to your investors based off of what you and your investors agreed to during the initial structure. So whatever that profit split was after they've received their initial equity back. A good process for approaching the sale with your investors is once you know you're going to sell, you want to continue to send them the monthly recap emails, but just mention, hey, we're no longer doing renovations because we are selling. And then whenever you know the actual sales date, just make sure you include that in your email to investors. And then you're going to want to send an email to them, letting them know how much money they should expect to receive and how they will receive it. And then there also might be some documents that you need for them to sign after the fact in order to cut off any ties to the LLC that own the property. But effectively, you want to keep them up to date on what's going on. And then any info you need from them on how they want their distribution, obviously you need to request that before the closing date so that once you've closed, you can have your property management company wire or mail out the checks for those distributions. And at that point, your investors are going to be super excited because they got their money back and they got a huge profit, ideally. And then you should be really excited because you sold your first deal. And now the process essentially starts all over again. You go back to the drawing board and find a new deal and kind of rinse and repeat either after selling or most likely you've already bought a few more deals at this point. So that concludes this episode on how to sell your apartment community. It concludes the series on how to sell your apartment community. And well, this is the end of the main structure for the apartment syndication process. So we started all the way back in series one with education and now we're all the way to the point where we sold your first apartment deal. So what we're going to do moving forward, we're going to go back over some of the previous syndication school series and go over those in more details and kind of fill in the gray areas that we missed. Until then, make sure you listen to part one of this series. Make sure you download the free document on how to create the letter of disposition that you need to send to your lender. Check out all of the other syndication school series, one through 20 as well as download those free documents. All of that is at syndicationschool.com. As always, thank you for listening, 
and I will talk to you soon. If you own a rental property, TransUnion Smart Move can help you identify the right renter from the start so you can avoid the problems of non-payment or evictions. Don't put yourself at risk. Go to tenantscreening.com, create a free account, enter the code FAIRLESS at checkout for 25% off your next screening. With TransUnion Smart Move, you'll get great reports, great convenience, great tenants. Best ever listeners, we have launched bestevercauses.com. That's bestevercauses.com. We profile a nonprofit or a cause that is near and dear to our heart, get the word out about their cause, and also donate money towards their cause. If you'd like to, one, learn more about the causes that we're profiling, we do one a month, then go to bestevercauses.com. And if you want to suggest a cause that we profile that is near and dear to your heart, then go to bestevercauses.com. And there's a little form at the bottom of the page where you can submit one and we'll check it out.